on this episode of What If We Are Talking. Well, we are talking to a woman that, Rosie, do you remember when you were wee and you used to go to, uh, we used to do the roller skating? Uh-huh. Do you remember making You get sweet at the end, yeah. Yeah, and remember we used to run home? Yeah, that was Pop Idol though. About Pop Idols and X Factor, we used to rush home because it was a big deal. It It was was a big deal. It was back in the day when it was a big deal and it was unmissable. So we have got Kate Thornton with us and it's so good to see you. So good to see you. Did you used to race home for Pop Idol Extra? Pop Idol, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Of course. Uh, We did that for 11 hours a week and it was one of, it remains one of the most joyous experiences of my entire broadcasting life. Yeah, really? Pop Idol. Pop Idol was the best. Film it in them. Um, do you remember Teddington Studios, which yes. is no longer there? And and literally because the show had been so successful, six weeks in, um, they went, Oh, we've got this other channel called ITV2, and we're gonna do a spin-off show. And can you go down and just like just just film stuff and talk about what's happening? And we did that for eleven hours a week. And I I swear I would never be quite the presenter that I went on to become had I not had those eleven hours a week. Ah, of course. And then that was the great thing. It was like you were given a blank page and just fill it up. Make it up as you go along. And that mm. was really before all of those other spin-off yeah. shows. It was from, the first. Yes. It was the first spin-off show. And then suddenly it was getting, you know, they were like, it's getting over a million viewers <laughs> at four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. And it's like Literally, it was like, and Darius is at the piano with Mike Dixon running through his arrangements for Saturday night. Darius, remember? So, but, do you remember? Like, you obviously remember, and uh-huh. I remember nothing because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Memories just fall out of my ears. But we had the best cast because you think about it, you had the boy that couldn't speak but could sing, Gareth Gates. Oh, lovely yeah. Gareth. You had Will. Oh, my first crush. Loved Will. Love him still. Yeah. Just was so articulate. And and the voice of the nation in terms of standing up to this kind of scoundrelous Simon Cowell who was very new to the to the public by then at that point. And then you had the comeback kid, Darius Dinesh, mm. who then became Darius Campbell. And he had been a bit of a joke and people mocked him. And they did. For the was, Britney thing, remember? Yeah, yeah, I the, do. And yeah. the ponytail. And yes. Oh, and the ponytail. Yeah. I mean, like he was, you know, like when, when people like French and Saunders or the, of that ilk do impressions of you, you know that you've, you've, people know who you are and probably not for the best reason. Indeed. And then he came back from that and he rebuilt. And it was, at the end of that season, that series, everybody was a winner. There was no negativity. Everybody got something from it. Will won. Gareth had a career. Uh, Darius was reformed. A whole wealth of judges and, you know, mm. Simon Cowell was delivered into the, <laughs> the world. Um, but that wasn't the first time Will and Simon and I had met. Really? Ooh. So check this out for a bit of trivia. You don't have to use this. It's just me wanging on. Um <laughs> But before that, when he was, when Darius had done Hit Me Baby One More Time and all of that, at the time of this morning, which was over the road from you, um, was being produced by a, by a guy called Nick Bullen. He was like, we should do something about this. So as the former editor of Smash Hits, I got, who was doing entertainment on This Morning with Claudia Winkleman at the time, we were like cub reporters. I said, let's do a talent search. We'll put a boy band together. So we did. And... I'm like, who's going to judge it with you? So I got an A&R, uh, an A&R, a producer in. And then I said, I've got this guy <laughs> I know from Smash Hits. And I think he's really good. Um, but he's very unlikely in as much as he's everything you wouldn't expect him to be. He looks like Mike from The Young Ones. Do you remember that? Yes. And they were like, well, who is he? I said, he's called Simon Cowell. <gasps> you were responsible. No. I'll put him on air. <laughs> it was you. And guess who we put in the boy band, the final lineup of the boy band, our five-piece boy band, which went nowhere. Two members of um, 
Lisa Scott Lee's brothers, what were they called? The Scott Lee's. Oh, yes. But, but, yeah, I know who that, you mean. That band, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Costa and Lee Ryan, who then went on to form Blue. Blue. No way. And number five was Will Young. No way. True did, story. How did that band not be? No, I know. Like One Direction. It should have been. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So, yeah, and they showed it recently on the kind of 30-year anniversary of this morning. And you see, you know, obviously we're all incredibly young and they just sort of sat there going, um, so what is it you're looking for? And as I say... It's the X factor. We want that undefinable oh, so well. star quality. Good grief, Kate yes. Thornton. <laughs> if you love Simon Cowell, you're welcome. And if you don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. And you talked about smash hits. I mean, smash hits, you were what, 21? 21, yeah. 21 years yeah, old. And you were the editor of a magazine. Anyway, it was so insane that they gave me the job based on a 10-hour interview at which I presented them with like these bits of A4 paper you've got here. They said, go and make a dummy copy of the magazine. Right? I literally still have my pencil case from finishing my A-levels, right? This mm-hmm. is how long out of school I'd been. And I sat in my flat and I stapled together what I would do with the magazine on sheets of A4. And I even drew a barcode on the back. Oh. They still gave me the job. I mean, <laughs> it's like a competition winner. <laughs> <laughs> But that's astonishing. How did you get to be doing that at that age? Was it? I mean, did you just see a, an ad? I mean, how did it happen? So I had, as part of my studies to become a journalist, I came to London to study at the London College of Printing, which is now the London Institute. And part of the course was you had to get two work placements. And I, I one of my work placements was for the Sunday Mirror Colour Supplement magazine. And I literally went in there thinking, right, if I don't get a job out of one of my two work placements, I've got to go home and I, there's no jobs there. Like you had to, to be a journalist on a national title, you had to be in London on Manchester, yeah. but really London, Fleet Street. And so I thought, I've just got to really, I've got to get a job, got to get a job. So I really jazz hands the editor. I was like, Mrs. Super Keen, like proper annoying. Like, I'll do that. I'll do that. Can I help? Would you let me see that? Can I carry that for you? But I just thought, please see me because if I'm seen, I might be heard. And if I'm heard, then it's up to me to be good. She gave me a job. She just said, like, yeah, I would hire you. And I was like, would you? Because otherwise I'm going to be really like, I have to go home <laughs> and there's no jobs. And I really put it on her. I'm in proper guilt trip. And she said, come back when you finish your exams. So I finished my exams at lunchtime and I was there at like 1.45 in a really bad power suit that I'd got in my mum's Freeman's catalogue. <laughs> going, hi, I'm here. And so from that job, that, that kind of put me in the mix. And then suddenly everybody in, on the title had a meeting because it was about problem solving. The problems that they had were all of the readers were dying and their kids were not picking up the paper and reading it. So it stopped being a family newspaper. And I was raised on the mirror, yeah. you know, blue collar, working class mm. family. They were like, how do we get young people to read newspapers? And I was like, well, yeah, for a start, you have to put something in the newspaper that speaks to them. And I was the only person on the title under 30. So I put my hand up, again, annoying, hi, me, <laughs> and said, I'll, I'll do a column, a youth column. And it was like an interview week, a couple of record reviews, competition giveaway. I'll do it for nothing. You don't have to pay me any more. And I'll do it one day a week. And the other four days, I'll carry on, you know, making Anne Robinson's tea, taking Alistair Campbell's toast in the mornings and just being the office, you know, kind of editorial runaround. And that's what I did. Through that column, getting a byline on a 
you know, yeah, you, you, you get your picture in the paper. Suddenly I became, people didn't know I was doing it for nothing. I mean, nothing. I was still eating, you know, beans every night because I was that skin. Yeah. And then suddenly that put me on the circuit for when the editor's chair became vacant at Smash Hits. I kind of knew from being around on the circuit, going to different gigs or press launches or whatever, I knew the editor of Smash Hits, a guy called Mark Frith. He said, you should go for it, you know. And I, I, I went for the job because I'd never been and on a proper job interview. So I went for the interview experience. And he said, I think you've got a chance because they've got nobody. There's nobody internal. So, and it's very un very unusual at that point that they took somebody from the outside. They would always try to promote from within. So there was an opportunity. I never expected to get it. I mean, no one was more surprised than me. And guess, you know, at the time, I'd moved over to the Daily Mirror by then and my editor was Piers Morgan. Okay. Who was I? I, I uh, you speak as you find. I have to say that man was a bit of a prince for me. Mm. So I had a bit of bullying going on there, and he's and he he literally put an end to it straight away. Great. I'm not and, surprised in, to hear in that. The most, Doesn't surprise no. me at all. And in, in the most phenomenal fashion. Yeah. And I've you know um, I'll let him tell the story should he ever want to one day. But frankly, he he came to my rescue, and I will forever be indebted. And this person that was bullying me or had been certainly unprofessional in their conduct towards me. Um, when I went in and I said to Piers, and he'd literally only just started. I mean, I don't think we worked together for more than four months. I said, I've, I've got this job. And he was brilliant. You've got to go for it. But if it doesn't work out, you come back and there's a job here for you. Now, come on. Out onto the newsroom floor. And he made the announcement, pretty much played it to the guy that had really been giving right. me the most horrendous time. It's really good to hear. And he pressed my new business card down on this guy's desk and he said look at what it says after a name it says editor Ooh, we like that and he yeah. kind of put him in his place but in front of everyone mm. and yeah he was he was quite remarkable i wonder if you were were you scared when you first got that job or were you you know sometimes terrified were you mm. but also just like naive as hell and because you don't know what failure is at that stage i hadn't had anything go wrong up until then so, yeah, scared, but just like so enthused by it because I'd been such a smash hits lover. I mean, I knew all the catchphrases. I knew all the names that they gave to, you know, different pop stars and the, the humour of it. So, and, and I started really, I mean, I got the job and I started almost immediately. It's when I got there that I got scared because I was looking around thinking, I'm the youngest person here. Even my PA is older than me. <laughs> And, they and you have me. a PA. And I have a PA. What the <laughs> hell? I've got an actual PA. And I was in charge of a marketing budget that was like the best part of a million quid. I was like, you crazy. <laughs> Still got a NatWest savings piggy bank in my house where, you know, like a pig I put actual cash in. <laughs> you put me in charge of a million pounds. It's remarkable, isn't mm. it? I would never have hired me. Would you not? Never, no. But they must that, have seen something, Keith. They must have. Christ knows what. They did. But... Again, right, it's sometimes like you go, what if, what if, what if? What if Mark Frith had never said to me? Yeah. Mm. Look at that, bringing it back on brand there. Uh, <laughs> what if Mark Frith had never said to me casually, I'm going? Because he was going to edit Sky magazine. And Mike Souter, who'd been there before him, had gone off to, to launch FHM. So it was a very laddie time in magazines. And sort of the teenage girl had been a little bit left behind. Plus, pop music had changed massively. So what if he hadn't have given me that as a bit of a, you should go for that? Mm. That's quite, And then when I did get the job, my publishers, 
there were three, four of them, but two of them you'll you may know. So Dave Hepworth, who was one of the instigators of Live Aid and the old Grey Whistle Test host, alongside Mark Ellen. So both have been amazing magazine journalists, but also great broadcasters. And I had them steering me. So actually, I was they encouraged me to take risks and think differently because that's why they hired me. But equally, they were very good at making sure that there was a net to catch me should I fall. So I was very lucky and, yeah, mm. had, had some great guys looking out for me, men and women. Mm. Before you got into journalism, was there anything else that you wanted to do when you were growing up? Nothing. That always... Mainly because I was crap at everything else. Oh, really? I was only good at English <laughs> and drama. <laughs> but no, I fell in love with writing as soon as I could write. I've always loved reading. I was the only kid that I knew that went home and got excited about reading the newspaper every day while I had my tea. Mm-hmm. Every day I read a newspaper, no matter what. I really wanted, and not not just for the bits that interested me. I'd, I'd read all of it. I wanted to, you know. I remember being the only kid that was going, and it terrible, eh, with this minor strike. <laughs> like, it's not playground chat. No, no, <laughs> you're a bit boring. But it's, but it's, it's, it's the curiosity, isn't it? You're just curious about everything, and that's yeah. you know that that is a wonderful thing to have. And and also, I think the other blessing is knowing what you want to be, because I've still got friends to this day, and you know we're all kind of, you know, nearly 50, who still don't know what they want to do. Mm. And that you must feel so adrift with that. Well, I would because I need a plan. Yeah. And I just knew what I wanted to be. So it was really quite simple for me. I just thought, well, then I've got to make that happen. There was never a plan B, which is unlike me because I always got contingencies for everything. But I never had a contingency for that because mm. I just thought... There just isn't a plan B. This is what I'm... If I don't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do because this is it. Mm. So I was so single-minded, probably massively annoying as well in my determination. You know, I went and got a job at the local newspaper paying the paper girls and paper boys just so I could be in the environment, like the free sheets. Do you remember when you used to get yes. free sheets? You yes, still do yes. sometimes. And my job was to pay them, right, and put like £3.50 in a brown envelope and they'd collect it on a Friday. But I used my payslip from that job to to, to get me into journalism school because I've been turned down by every school apart from the one I got into. And I went, look, I'm working on the local paper. Here's my payslip. I just didn't say what I was doing. Well, exactly. I think that's wonderful. It's like the guy that shovels up, you know, shovels up the elephant poo and doesn't want to give it up because he's in showbiz. (laughs) I love that. I think it's brilliant. Let's face it, we've all shoveled elephant poo at some point. Oh, we certainly have. Oh, we certainly have. And from there, from Smash Hits, where did you go after that? Another brilliant what if moment. Because, so when I joined Smash Hits, my job was to kind of boost the circulation. It was a time that was quite interesting in as much as, I mean, I'd never thought of anything other than print and news and magazines because that's all I'd ever grown up on. But then digital television was just about to be launched. So we'd just seen the launch of Channel 5. Rosie, can you even remember that? No. We no. used to we used to only have three channels. And then it was four, which is very I know. Crazy. And you used to have to get up off your bottom and actually physically press the button. I remember that. Or you had a remote control that plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> Plugged in? Yeah, we didn't, yeah. didn't have remote control. You had to get up off your bum. I've never heard of, the, of it being plugged in, though. Yeah, oh, um, that's yeah, plugged in before, before the wireless remote, there was the plug-in remote. <laughs> what? On a yeah. curly wire? Yeah, <laughs> yeah curly wire. <laughs> so, 
So you were working there on Smash Hits and then, and then this the, opened up this other world. This other world opened up as much as the editor of that title and my job was to promote it as well as edit it. And then literally when I started, Take That broke up. And then it was just quite a busy news year for music. So you had Jarvis flashing, Jacko at the Brits, Blur v Oasis, and then the launch of the Spice Girls, all on my watch, right? So I was always being called up to like, News at 10 would like you to go on and comment on this. And so I'd end up having, you know, that was my job. Mm. So this woman got in touch called Trish Powell. Thank you, Trish Powell. You're my next what if. And she got in touch and said, oh, hi, I'm launching this new lunchtime current affairs show for a youth current affairs show mm-hmm. for ITV. And I'd love to talk to you. And I thought we could get some of the staff on, you know, when we met, met, met with her. And she was basically, I'd like you to host it. We're looking for four new faces for ITV. Um, and I was like, oh, thank you. But no, it's not for me. I'm the editor of Smash It's. <laughs> I've just died and gone to heaven. I'm staying here until they push me out. She started to make a really interesting business case to me. She was like, are you sure about this? Because basically what she said was print is in palliative care, mm. which she was right. You know, your figures are never going to go up. You've done a great job because they've given you a massive marketing budget. And I've been basically stapling five pound notes to the cover of, of Smash Hits. So, you know, if we did a cover with Louise Nerding, as she was then, I'd go to the record company and go, wouldn't it be nice? if we could put a little necklace on there for the readers. Mm. Actually, they'd love Louise for that, wouldn't they? <laughs> and five pounds, off you go. And that's what we do. So you were you've literally, you were sticking five pound notes or free CDs, mm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, they're going to take that marketing budget away from you. And then what? And they did. Right? Just while I was having this conversation with her, they were like, the marketing budget's going down, actually. We don't need it. You've got the figures, you know, it's, it's all good. And then she just said, look, digital TV's coming. As a businesswoman, you should be looking at broadcast. And and I said, but I don't want to present. She said, well, then you can produce. You can produce and present. But you've, no one's going to watch it. It's on against EastEnders Omnibus. And she was just relentless in her persuasion. And in the end, I, um, I, t- I took the leap. I also signed to the Sunday Times and Mary Claire. So I left Smash Hits. Without the big marketing budget, I thought, I'm not going to keep these sales up. Hmm. I went to Sunday Times and Mary Claire as a contributing editor and I signed on to do 13 weeks on this show for ITV. Um, it was with Nick Knowles, who was a regional news reporter at the time. Gosh, that's yeah. DIY SOS, Nick yeah. Knowles. Oh, mm. my goodness. And then a, a two, two, another brilliant producer called Alison Martin, who's t- decided to go back behind the cameras, and a local newsreader called Alan Rock. And the four of us were sort of the young face. And our jobs were to be the kind of youthful faces of current affairs, go out and find the stories, bring them to the studio, cut the films, book the guests, you know, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> and, you know, all from a sort of porter cabin in a car park in Southampton at Meridian Television. And I loved it. And I went there and I thought, oh, oh my God. And eight shows in... On a Sunday, Diana died and they kept us on air. And it was the most god-awful story to be a part of. But equally, and I, I hope that this doesn't in any way sound lacking in compassion, but an important story to be a part of yeah, in some way. it's history. Mm. It's history. History in the making. And I knew that we were making history and there was no... Do you remember that day they, there was no yes. ad breaks? And I'd done eight hours of telly. And I, I didn't have any black clothes. I was in a Novotel in Southampton going, shit, just shit, they're going to put us on air. And I've done I've done eight hours of telly. How do I not get this wrong now? I can't get this wrong. Mm. Doing a handover from Trevor McDonald, you know, like, you know, my God, it's Trevor McDonald on the telly. <laughs> I, like, I was still so, so young. Yeah. So I was not even 20, so I don't much. think, 23, 23, 1997. Am I right in saying that the... 
song that you picked. <laughs> Fluky is that. I will have you makes tell look, the story. No, it makes me look way smarter than I am. You can tell the story, but it's it's what's kind of tipped over into folklore mm. versus what probably actually happened. I'd love to hear what your take on it is. Well, this is what I've researched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the song that you found was Candle in the Wind, Elton John. Yeah. And that then became the song. Yeah. Of the time, really. Yeah. I'll put some meat on the bones yes, of that you, for you. You can tell it properly. So they go, I hadn't slept that night before, and I was in the next room to Nick Knowles at the Novotel, and Nick Knowles was obsessed with playing his guitar, and he used to play more than words by extreme all night, and it drove me mad. And then suddenly I heard, I just heard his, and it just stopped, and I thought, oh. And I turned the news up, and there was the, the, the news bulletin about Dodie had passed away, Diana was still fighting for life. I thought, so I knocked the door. Nick, you know, so we huddled. We go into work super early, thinking they and I. They say, look, we've spoken to Network Centre. ITN might need some respite, so we're going to prep a show. Mm. Nick, you're going to Buckingham Palace. Kate, you're staying in the studio with the other two presenters, and you do this, you do that, blah blah blah. My job was to um, cut together a tribute to her as a, the Princess of Young Causes at the end of the show. Bear in mind, never done an edit in my life. And play it out at the end of the show. So I do the edit. I'm sat with this fantastic editor who really saved my bacon that day. And then he went, it's a Sunday, right? We need some music. And the music library was shut. That's why we ended up mm. with Elton John, Candle in the Wind, because it's the only thing I had in the car that was appropriate. And I thought, well, she is our Norma Jean. She is our Marilyn. And there just was such um, parallels in terms of how much she'd meant to so many and yet her life had been cut so drastically short and tragically and literally I put it on because I could not think of anything else and I didn't want to be the one that's going excuse me I can't find any music it just wasn't the day for it everybody was heads down just get your job done and then it got picked up it got picked up by the networks and stations and and obviously was subsequently re-recorded but it remains the biggest selling song of all time that's incredible I know (laughs) isn't that amazing but isn't that instinct as well sometimes don't you think there's a journalistic instinct where you and you know talk about journalism in a broader sense of Mm -hmm. like being in an edit how do you amplify a moment how do you add to a story how do you wrap it in something that elevates it and that just that just did it for me in that moment and I didn't have time to overthink it but it was also perfect Mm, yeah. That's the thing. It was. It couldn't be. Good job I'm an Elton John fan, eh? Not Christa Berg. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been totally, totally different all together. Yeah. There we go. Mm. Funny, isn't it? It really is. It's quite remarkable. How do you go? Right, because obviously you had given the world Simon Cowell already. <laughs> not, no, not by that point. Not by that point. I'd already but... worked with Simon, so he used to have to... This is like... this. Is so like... I'm just wondering how how did the whole X Factor phenomenon okay. come in and you, you but, fronting so, a big show like that? Pop Idol came first. Yes. So I did, went off and did this, this show straight up. One of the jobs on straight up that I had to do was I had to interview the uh, Chris Cowie, who is the producer and director of Top of the Pops. And... I ran into him a couple of weeks later at the Brits and he'd gone, oh, you'd listen, yeah, nice piece, thanks very much. Didn't think anything more of it. A couple of weeks later, I get a phone call at home one day, I'm decorating in the first house that I bought. Like I had an actual grown-up house with stairs. I was so excited. (laughs) And he he goes, okay, it's Chris Carey here. I was like, oh, blimey, hi. He went, listen, do you think you could be at Elstree in two hours? Because if you can, you can host this week's Top of the Pops. Jane Middlemuss has gone sick. Oh, so that my put me, goodness. Uh, can you actually imagine? You've never seen anyone hyperventilate and sweat so much. <laughs> I just, I turned up and I had to bring my own clothes and I looked ridiculous, but I didn't care. 
and I was so high pitched and I sounded like I, you know, like my accent came out from back home. I was like, right, Sandy, you wrong, my right. <laughs> literally sounded like I'm just looking for the tree, keys to my tractor. Um, just beside myself, excited. But that kind of put me um, to, to a point where I thought I should probably get an agent now. I've got like, I'm, they, they kept me on. Like when you host Saturdays, uh, Christmas Day's Top of the Pops, you're like, oh, it's a big deal. It's like, a oh huge my deal. God, I feel like the baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so special um, it really did and so then I got an agent and that job led to Saturday Night Telly so there was a show called um, what was the show that I did don't try this at home there we are there it is um, don't try this at home it was a new Saturday Night Show to be, and it was supposed to be hosted by Darren Day with Danny Minogue and then Davina McCall was supposed to be and young very young Davina McCall was going to be the roving sort of out and about girl Danny Minogue got a record deal, pulled out. Davina got promoted up and I got put in. Suddenly I was a Saturday night TV host. I was like, how the hell did that happen? Wow. Which then put me in the ring to be sort of considered for things like Pop Idol. So Pop Idol then comes on air. I'm doing the, I'm doing all sorts of shows at this point. I'm doing travel mainly for the BBC, which I loved. I'm doing a bit of entertainment for this morning where I'd put Simon and the boy band thing on its feet on air with Nick Bullen. And then I get a phone call. And it was from my agent saying that there's a guy called Richard Holloway that wants to speak to you. Simon Fuller's asked him to call you. And Simon Fuller and Simon Cowell, I'd both met at Smash Hits. And Simon Fuller and I had worked very closely on all the coverage of the Spice Girls. And Simon Cowell, I just loved because he was, <laughs> nobody took him seriously. Like he had all the, what we called the novelty acts, massively commercial, but like zig and zag. Oh, All mm -hmm. the Power Rangers. Right. But then suddenly he had Robson and Jerome. Oh. And I liked Simon. I got on with him and I thought he was ballsy and cheeky. And that's where our kind of relationship started. It was with really with the tables were, were turned in as much as the power play. He had to pitch to me. And I would always try to be polite and go back and saying, no, like they're just the puppets. We can't do the puppets. I need actual real people. <laughs> then he'd come back and go, it's Robson and Jerome. I'm like, I love them, but they are our readers' dads. Yes. Mm. You know, yes. their mums will love them. It's mums in leather trousers, Simon. Oh, mom, right, okay. And but we always got on it. It was always it was always very lovely. So then when Pop Idol's massively successful and they'd been on air for six weeks, that's when, as I said earlier, you know, they go, Oh, let's do a spin-off show. And I think Simon Fuller put me forward, but Simon Cowell certainly was in agreement with it. I did Pop Idol. And then when Pop Idol ran for two seasons, I knew that, I knew that there was something brewing by way of another show. And I and that was X Factor. And I was and literally the night of the Pop Idol final, I was um I was offered the job. Wow. But I had to keep it quiet. Mm. which killed me. <laughs> to go to LA and secretly film stuff, it killed me. What are you doing in LA? Nothing. Oh Holiday. my God, if only you knew. <laughs> I tell you. So that's it. So there's, oh, there's a load of what ifs in there, right? What, oh, what if, what if. But that's life, yeah. So many. Was music always something you were really interested in? Yeah. Well, did you love it when you were a kid? Loved it because I'm no good at it. So okay. I can actually be a passive audience member. Mm. I'm like one of those really annoying people like, like if, if I love something I'll try to do it I'm so bad at singing I can dance <laughs> I cannot sing so I was like actually I can just enjoy this yeah and now that I've accepted in my own mind that I can't write fiction it's enabled me to enjoy reading fiction hmm. but if I read an autobiography 
I'm still going through it with a mental red note pen going, I oh, change that, apostrophe. <laughs> um, you know, so that's, so I, li- I like things like music because I can just mm. inhale. Mm. And back then, X Factor was, I was enormous. Yeah. It was the biggest show that there's yeah. ever been. It really was. And you looked so comfortable. That's why I always thought about you. You made it look easy. Oh, thank you. You really did. Thank you. That, well, coming from you especially, that means a lot. I don't, I don't know if that's a view that was shared from from everybody, but I felt very comfortable yeah. up there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it required a lot of confidence. Certainly, I mean, certainly with some of the people that were around at the time, I used to get really annoyed that I'd come off stage. I mean, like, there was one night where the autocue just didn't work, right? So you just busk, Saturday, and like, like, there's a lot of busking, right? I felt like I'd earned my money that night. <laughs> and let's, you know, let me be the first to say we are overpaid. But I really felt like I'd earned it that night. And I was buzzing, and I thought, wow, we, you know, the show was really good, despite the fact that there were so many things going wrong, and, you know... And all they talked about was what I wore. And I was just like, oh, please, can we just have a minute just to go, well done on getting through that, rather as opposed to, I'm not really sure about the green. <laughs> you know, and it's just so boring. <laughs> Women are more than what we wear. And, it, yes. and I was like, you would not do this to Anton Deck. Nope. No, never. So sod off, actually. <laughs> and where's, you know, can we see a mood board of what you're planning on wearing for the next series? Yeah, when Anton Deck bring theirs in. Yeah. yeah. Do you ask Trevor McDonald what he's wearing on the news next week? <laughs> Just annoyed me. I know, I know. Do you remember there was that guy in Australia? He was a, an anchor beside a, a woman and he wore the same suit for every year. single day for a year. Yeah. And no one noticed. No, no. I loved that. Such I thought that made such mm. a great point, didn't it, mm. about how things are. I mean, it was, again, the biggest show, the highest show. We know that you got replaced. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. You handled that with such dignity oh, because you. you just said, that's okay, I'll go and do something else. Thanks yeah. very much. But very tough to do. It with was. That. Well, I, publicly, I was very dignified. Privately, I was a bit more outspoken yeah. with those that had. With people you trust and your friends. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, listen, the, I have no truck with what was done. I have a huge issue with the way it was done. Mm. And I don't think it would be done now because you have only got to look to see how fragile people's mental health is. And who's to say mine wasn't? Yeah. Because it was mm. massively. It burnt. It burnt. The humiliation of it burnt. And it was done for maximum exposure. Okay. It wasn't quietly done. It wasn't elegantly done. Within an hour or so of me finding out, I had a press on my doorstep and I hadn't told anyone. So. Yikes. Mm. And then you deal with that. But then you understand. I thought, okay, um, do you know what? When they go low, you go high. Absolutely. I was doing it before Michelle Obama. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And also gone on to do remarkable things. You know, that's the thing of it. You know, you you have. You've done some extraordinary things. I've done some lovely things. And I think what it taught me was resilience. And with resilience and humility, actually. And just, and actually, do you know what? I think there'd been a build-up of speculation of, oh, Kate's going to be fired. Kate's going to be fired. I was reading it a lot in the papers and still having to go into work. Oh, that's hard. That's mm. hard, right. And then, and then literally knocking on doors saying, can we have a chat? Listen, if you want me to go, that's absolutely fine. I get it. But can we do it nicely? Absolutely. There's no truth in this. You mustn't believe that. You're here as long as they're here. But all this, all this, you know. So when that then happens, you, the fear of it was actually far greater than the reality, if I'm honest. And that's probably one of the most valuable life lessons. So I thank them for that. Yeah. Because that's a really good actually, way to look at it. Really good f- way. I, I remember going on holiday not long before... 
And I just wasn't, I was not present. I was just pacing, thinking, oh my God, they're going to fire me. And everyone's going to read it. It's going to be so humiliation. And just, it festered, it festered. And it started to, it dimmed my lights, right? And then it happened. And it's a bloody job. You've still got your pals. You've still got, you know, you've still, you're still you. It's fine. And you know, all right, for the next year, everyone will talk to me with their head tilted to one side, (laughs) going, are you all right? But they mean well. Yeah. Mm. So don't be annoyed by that. Embrace the kindness and it will pass. And it did. And it is just a job, but it taught me so much. So now I kind of jump around doing whatever I think is, is good. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's yeah. no biggie. It's okay. Mm. It's okay. But that was certainly a very difficult time. Um, and I wish I'd just... You know, for any, I see, you know, sometimes I see reports about different people in our business and then mm. being written about in the same way. And I think, I just, and I do sometimes get in touch and I just go, look, I promise you, the thought of it is worse than the reality. It, you'll be fine. It is fine. It's a minute, it's a moment. And actually, no one truly cares because no one dies. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. That's mm. absolutely the way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they came out that they're not going to do the X Factor anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It, it's one of those formats that it could come back in 10 years' time and still be brilliant. Do you think? I think so. I think with okay. the right casting, yeah. It'll come definitely. Back. But I think we live in a different time now. Mm-hmm. You know, you look back on that first season and we used to do this number at the end of uh, the finals where we'd bring back all of the favourite auditions and some yeah. of those people should not have been no. there. No, I agree with you. They were very and, and I had issue with that. Yeah. I did. So I think that the landscape has changed massively and for shows like that I think the voice has probably got the tone right which is let's just do this straight let's do this straight it is and it's, mm-hmm. it's constructive criticism mm-hmm. it's not putting people on a stage knowing that people are going to laugh at them and I know yeah. that you know some people will come back and go ah oh, but you know that's not the business that's not how it is out there no that's not how it used to be out there mm-hmm. but you've got change is something you've got to see and it starts on our television screens and I think that um, for for all sorts of reasons. Yes, the X Factor could come back bigger, better, stronger and brighter, but it would have to be slightly different to certainly that iteration of it. And I, I couldn't comment on recent iterations of it because I, I haven't watched. No. I, I Neither have I. Yeah. Well, I think that's I why it's not on anymore. Exactly. I mean, the figures well, just dropped. Yeah. <laughs> but it had a bloody good run. It had a great run. You look at something like Strictly and it just goes from strength to strength because... I guess it's kind. It's kind, right? Yeah. You said and, in the rain. Yeah, yeah, it is kind. And also we want to see people doing the, their best as yeah. well. And it's lovely to see people. And even if they're not very good, it doesn't matter. And I think people are getting... No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't as long matter as they're all. in on the joke and yeah. they're not the joke. And there's, it, those are really fine lines, actually. But they're really significant and really mm. important. No, yeah. very much so. Things that, have changed. Yeah, yeah they have. Mm. Even they if, have. Yeah, even a show like the, the Jungle one, like I'm a Celebrity, that used to be really full of conflict. And now it's more supportive much more supportive I think people yeah. are different you know and, yeah. and new generations growing up like your generation Rosie you're growing up and you, you don't want to see that no I can't be bothered but also <laughs> I find I think, I think people feel a bit dirty mm-hmm. yeah you don't want conflict you don't want rows you don't want all of that you, no, you don't, no. You don't, you I can't get... watch the old auditions I, th- I think it's so sad I, just I think, think it's, it's cruel really, yeah. I think it's really cruel it's really too sad mm. but you're right life life does go on and um, but, you know you know Thank God progress is is afoot. Yeah. Things are changing. Totally. And I think that, that you know, the programme makers, they get that, they know that, and they are rolling with those times. I think, you know, what you see on Britain's Got Talent probably reflects where we are right now far more so than probably when it launched however many years ago. Yeah. 
You're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're but absolutely. again, I couldn't comment. I haven't watched an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's too many other things, too many other distractions. That's Re- the thing. Reading books that I know I can't write. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to music I know I can't sing. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you about Shrek 2 because I remember watching it and you're, I heard your voice and I was like, is that? Yes, that and it is. It's Kate. It's when they got married, isn't it? It's when Trek and yes, get married, and then there's a red it, carpet. There's a red carpet, and you're the presenter. <gasps> and Joan Rivers. Yeah, that's the that's coolest yes. thing. That is the isn't coolest it? thing ever. So well, cool. That I did way before my I, way before I ever became a mum, right? And I got the call, and uh, and it was for me and Jonathan Ross. So Jonathan. I think his character was Jay Leno in the States, voiced by Jay Leno, and mine was was Joan Rivers. And she's drawn to look like Joan Rivers, my mm-hmm. character. But they wanted some European talent. So Jonathan played the, I think he was an ugly sister, and I was the red carpet reporter. So cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, they call up, they go, do you want to be in Shrek 2? I was like, yes. <laughs> what do I have to do? And they're like, you've got six lines. I was like, great. <laughs> and I had to record it with some little ears on. And everybody was just like, how much did you get paid? Nothing. I didn't even ask for money. I just did it. <laughs> of course, I would pay them. Exactly. <laughs> I think I even got myself a cab there. I was just so <laughs> thrilled. And then as I became, you know, as I, I went on to become a mum, I couldn't wait for Ben to be old enough and for him to be able to connect that that's mummy. Mm. And it was, it was, but my niece was tiny at the time. I took her to the premiere. Um, she dressed as a fairy. Oh. with Jean Gallagher as her kind of plus one. <laughs> um, it was just a lovely thing to do. Aww. Yeah. And does your boy know that it was you? Or did you did you tell him or did you wait? He know he, he got it straight. Well, oh. for years, you see, if, when he was teeny tiny, there was one time I was covering for you. Yes, I remember. And he was up at the screen going, Mummy, talk to me, talk to oh. me. He was literally pulling himself up. Like, why is she not talking back why to me? Why is my mum in a box? <laughs> What's going on? It's that moment of, like, you probably, or you wouldn't remember it, but I'm mm. sure you did exactly the same, Rosie. It's a it's a weird thing. It must be so strange. A parent that does our job, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I just say to get Ben, my greatest wish will have two. One is that you'll always be happy. Two is that you'll never Google me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There can't be yeah. anything bad there. <laughs> no. I just... Wouldn't want, I wouldn't have a Google me, so no. I really don't want him to be the one that goes in. <laughs> um, we end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. Okay. So we will start with fail. I mean, it could even be last night. I've tried to bake biscuits in a sort of like 15 minutes of, like, oh my God, let me be an amazing mum. They were absolute, I mean, like tarmac. <laughs> hey. um, but fail, fail. Failure to be kind to myself as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Which it cost me so many years, and if I could give anything to any young person, it would be just take that away that 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 horrible cruelty that you apply to yourself. So for me, it was. I mean, I I almost ruined my chances of becoming a mum by starving myself, mm. you know, and and the worry that I put my mum and dad through with that, and the fact that actually what I uncovered very quickly talking to my GP was that this was about being bullied. It was about being horribly bullied at school and this was my way of controlling the situation. I was being bullied because I had, um, you know, as you hit puberty, some kids carry more weight than others. I carried more weight. It would have gone on its own. Yeah. But I wanted to disappear so they would... I thought, if if I'm not big, they won't do it. And that was me trying to control their bad behaviour. And I let myself down. What I should have done is gone and shoulder to shoulder and stood up to them. And been kinder to myself, punish mm-hmm. them rather than myself. So yeah. that's, that's probably my greatest failure. And what about regret? 
I didn't square up to them punch my yeah. nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard though. That's it's, so, so it's, tough. It's only now at that stage in your life that you can do that, I think. Yeah. You can look back on it like that. Yeah, I mean, this, this was, I made a documentary about it. It's really interesting because when I signed up to the documentary, it was with a really good team and I'd been asked to do the story before about what it is to have an eating disorder. And um, we put some real science behind it on this one. It, it was a very good documentary. It's up on YouTube for anybody that is impacted or struggling with this. It's called My Secret Past with my name in it. But it's, it's massively helpful. And I signed on to do the documentary and I remember sitting down with the filmmakers going, if you're expecting me to cry and everything, you know, there's some of these great epiphanies of sort of like, oh my God, I'd never realised. <laughs> That's not going to happen, okay? I'm coming on to present this show like a presenter. Cut to two days later. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Because I'd blocked so much out. And I mean, it, it was a game changer and a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I think if, if anything, I would try to give that back to young people. And what about a win? My son. Mm. Which is exactly the answer your mum would give as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely, exactly the same. He is every colour in my rainbow. He's all the signs in my zodiac. He is my everything. Greatest production, biggest achievement. And I will make sure that he is the legacy that I will be most proud of because he's just a fine young man. And to have raised him on my own without any childcare trying to be more there than not whilst doing this crazy old job it's been a hell of a ride but I wouldn't have changed a minute mm. yeah so he's my greatest win oh thank you so much Brian. I love that thank love you that, what a joy so to talk thank to you thank you absolute to talk joy to you thank you so much and do you know what I really will consider myself a winner if in 10 years time I'm sat here having the same level of respectful loving dialogue that you two have you are goals right there <laughs> oh thank you that's brilliant <laughs>